Today, uh, in the fourth part of our ongoing series, Understanding God, I'm going to speak about the holiness of God. How appropriate. The holiness of God, which we don't really take into proper consideration. How holy is God? And what does his holiness mean to us? And what is his expectation of us because of his holiness? I'm going to start with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. You'll see it on the screen. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. How about that? Be holy as I am holy. Walk with me in holiness. Walk with peace. Wherever you go, spread the aroma, the perfume of God. And so for many of us, we have a hard time truly understanding the concept of the holiness of God. When we say God is holy, or when we say he wants us to be holy, what do we mean and what does God mean? Well, one solid dictionary definition says, spiritually pure, sacred, untainted by evil, sinless. Well, when you apply that standard to God, uh, holiness is that which divides him from every other being in the universe. There is no one that can stand that holiness other than God himself. Uh, it is his essential nature. It is his essential character. And it makes him different and distinct from every other thing in the universe. Now Moses, you see, understood this holiness well when he wrote a song to remind the people of Israel uh, about this invisible God that had saved them, who had delivered them from Egypt. And you see this song in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 on the board. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? working wonders. Well, the quick answer is no one is like you. There is no other one. You stand alone. God's holiness here refers to his greatness and the total absence of evil and sin in his character. Uh, God's holiness deserves our awe, our reverence, and our total respect in everything that we do. Now, the great theologian A.W. Tozer described this attribute of God in a beautiful way, and we should have that on the board. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man, you see, is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. And so even with God's help, humanity is overwhelmed by his holiness long before we understand much about it. This leaves, you see, two important issues for us today. How does God reveal his holiness 
so that you and I can grasp it? And how can you and I effectively reflect God's holiness to a lost world? And I think that's the essence of what we aspire to, especially in this sermon today. How do we reflect the very holiness of God? How do we communicate this to a lost world? How truly holy is our God? Now, there are responsibilities that flow to us uh, from a deeper understanding of these issues. Uh, scripture identifies this responsibility clearly. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, and it says as follows, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There it is. That's God's expectation of you. Walk in holiness. Do not be conformed to this world. Yes, we know the world is evil and filled with sin, but he's called you apart from it. And he expects you to be separate. And so be holy. Walk in holiness, just as he is, is giving you that ability to do that. And he has given you that ability with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are three people in the Bible who offer us great examples, I believe, of how God's holiness impacts people. First, Mo Moses, then David, and then Isaiah. God called Moses out of the wilderness. You know, he was a shepherd after he left as being prince of Egypt. And then he spent 40 years wandering in the desert raising sheep. Uh, and God called him when he was 80 years old. Can you imagine that, church? 80 years old. There's still hope for all of us, right? <laughs> 80 years old, Moses. Uh, he called him uh, and said, I want you to go back and lead my people out of captivity. And so God spoke to him from a burning bush. He didn't know who he was. Moses had no idea, but this bush starts burning and then the voice of Charlton Heston speaks from that bush. And you know what it's like. You've seen that movie. I've only seen it a hundred times. My favorite movie. And God speaks to Moses at that moment. And what does he say? The very first words he says to Moses, just before he's going to call Moses to this great, great adventure. He says, take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. Imagine that, the very first words, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Look, was that ground holy five minutes before? It was dirt and sand and rock. But when God descends on it, it is holy ground. And that is why I believe that right now in this church, this is holy ground. Without a doubt, this is holy ground. And so you see it, now it's a holy place. We don't make it holy, he makes it holy. And so the only difference was the presence of God. God was personally present in that desert and required Moses to acknowledge him. And that's the lesson for us. Now David, you see, is also called a man after God's own heart. He received promises not only for his own life, 
but also promises forever. He was told that the Messiah would be out of his lineage and one of his very descendants. Uh, and so God maintained his holiness with David, both in the way he held the king accountable for sin and in the way God graciously dealt with David. Let's understand something. God cannot stand sin. And so even though David was a man after God's heart, when David sinned, God held him accountable. And he holds us accountable. That's why this sermon is important, so that you understand this. This is what it means to walk in holiness. And so even though he held David accountable, he graciously and lovingly dealt with him. But here's the thing. God does not betray himself when he deals with his people. He cannot betray himself. He is without sin. He cannot deviate from that mark. And so even as he loves us, he must in fact be utter, purely holy in every way. And so no, for us, after we reveal who we are, when we are unfaithful, when we break his law, when we sin, uh, when we violate God's holiness, you see, well, there are consequences. And there were consequences in the life of David. You know, that baby that was born out of that adulterous relationship was struck dead. You understand that. And David had to deal with, with terrible sin in his own home when Absalom, his son, revolted against him. That was a terrible pain as Absalom tried to take the kingdom away from David. And David only lived to the age of 70. Now, that was at a time when many people lived beyond that. But I believe that also was a consequence of the judgment of God. Uh, and you see how God deals lovingly. There's no question about this. I saw this in my own family uh, when my father's two brothers who were recalcitrants, recalcitrants, away from God in every way. And suddenly, after they were struck with serious cancer within a week of each other, can you imagine? Within a week of each other. And over the course of a year, God dealt with them. And they became born-again Christians. And they became closer to God and wanted to commit themselves to God. Yet, after one year, the Lord called them home. Why? Well, it turns out one of, one of the brothers was already preparing to buy a bar in Newark, New Jersey. You understand what happens? We can't fool with the holiness of God. If he called you and he saved you and he brought you out of sin, he doesn't expect you to go back and dwell in the mud where you were before. And there are consequences. When we violate God's holiness, that holiness ensures consequences. But it comes with justice, and it comes with grace, and it comes with love. Now, there's another classic Old Testament character found in Isaiah himself. Isaiah turned to God in prayer, asking him for guidance, asking him for what was his will in his life, uh, and a message for the people of Israel. Instead, he was brought face to face with the holiness of God. Uh, and in this incredible passage, it was life-changing. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Can you imagine to have a vision of God himself? I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Can you imagine? The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And let me say to you, church, this is what happens when you have a vision of God. This is what happens when you see his holiness. Yes, you bow, you get on your knees, you put your face in the dirt because you recognize, woe is me, oh God, I am an unclean man. My lips are unclean. And then in this great passage, one of the seraphim flew to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs directly from the fire. With it, he touched my mouth and say, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned. And so when we begin to see the holiness of God, when we walk in his presence, when we take it in uh, and we understand the experience is startling, you cannot be the same way you were before. It's impossible. He's given you a vision of utter, pure holiness. Uh, and so at that point, you stop comparing yourselves to others. You know, how easy is that? All right, we live in a world in which we compare ourselves to the guy down the street. Oh, look at that loser. I'm such a better man. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband in every way. And then suddenly, God calls you up short. And you get an image of God. And when you get an image of the holiness of God, you can't even look back in the mirror because you're that disgusted with what you see. God understands this. And so through God's holiness, we realize how much we need his love and how much we need his compassion. This is precisely what happened to the prophet Isaiah. Because then what does he say in Isaiah 6, verse 8? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. That should be the nature of all of us. That when we come face to face with God and we recognize what he has done for us and how he has saved us, every one of you should say, send me, Father. Send me, Lord. Let me go to the world. Let me go to the unchurched. Let me go to a lost world. Send me. And he honors it. Now, God has also revealed his holiness through the law. Uh, the first four of the Ten Commandments deal specifically with the holiness of God. Since God alone is truly holy, we are to trust and worship no others. We are not to dishonor God's holiness uh, by pretending anything or anything else is God's. His name should be used with utter respect 
and awe and care. And when he declares a day holy, we ought to recognize the holiness of that day. This summary of God's law focuses really on our attention and his holiness. Now, this principle that I've just given you is demonstrated in great detail in the first five books of the Bible, especially in Leviticus, where God spells out how he wants worship. Now, when you read Leviticus chapter 16, we won't do it today, but at home, I, I really encourage you to read it. What you will find is God lays out there how the Jewish people were to do the Day of Atonement, the first day of Atonement. And it will blow your mind as the chapter goes on, verse after verse after verse, how, how God declares there has to be ceremonial washings and there has to be ceremonial holiness and the robes have to be put on. And after a certain point, those robes are disposed of and new robes are taken and bells are placed on the bottom of the robe so that when the high priest goes in, they know, the people know if he's still alive or if he's been struck down dead because he did not properly prepare. And this goes on verse after verse after verse. And that is why the people of Israel never could commit themselves to that day of atonement. And only through Jesus Christ could our sins ever be reflected. But it is a reflection, you see, of the true holiness of God. Then you understand it. Now, a vivid picture of the holiness of God is also on display in Leviticus chapter 9. And let me talk to you about that. In Leviticus chapter 9, God tells Aaron, you are the high priest. I want you to go in and your sons can be priests also and do the celebration and do the worship. But in order to do that, you must go through a meticulous seven day of washing and cleansing. How about that? Seven days to meticulously wash and prepare and bow to go into the holy of holies in the tabernacle to come in and be with me because i'm holy and so clearly aaron understood this and aaron did that as his boys did and when aaron went in and celebrated that sacrifice in accordance with what god wanted that sacrifice was accepted but shortly after that aaron's two sons went in and did not obey God, did not do the sacrifice the way God had ordained it. And instead, in defying the holiness of God, they went in and did it their own way. Well, guess what? God struck them dead. Struck them dead. And in another verse, he instructed Aaron to go and send these other men in to get the corpses. But he says then, do not mourn their death. Oh, God, you are holy. I have to respect your holiness in every way. This is what God is telling us right now. You are in the presence of God. And when you don't worship and don't honor his holiness, this is what happens. Look, I want you to say something. Do you realize the responsibility it is for us, even as we conduct church, as we are here and, and are servants of God and speak to you? Do you realize the responsibility that falls upon people who destroy church? 
who destroy the people of God? Do you have any idea if Aaron's two sons were struck dead because they didn't obey God? Do you think there's any difference for us today? You think God gives us any more slack? I assure you that's not the case. It is only because of the loving, patient, long-suffering nature of God that we don't see these kind of things come to pass every single day. Look, they were serving in the very presence of God. God's holiness was uniquely represented in the temple. Sin and disobedience had no place there. And sin and disobedience have no place in church today. Look at Psalm 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You who hate all who do wrong, you destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and deceitful. You, Lord, detest. God detests sin. God detests evil. These two men ignored the clear instruction of God. Without consulting Moses or Aaron, they went ahead and did as they wanted to do. And death is the consequence, you see, the very consequence of any sinner who rebels against the Lord. There it is. You rebel against the Lord, I can assure you, you will receive death. You will not be able to have eternal life. And, and so when we understand the holiness of God, we understand that worship does not revolve around us. And let me make this very clear. You don't come to church to be entertained. This is not the entertainment business. You understand? We don't sit here and look at the band because we love the band, we like the music, and we're being entertained. This has nothing to do with entertainment. This has everything to do with worship. And we need to come to terms with it. It even is the same way with me. I hope you love the sermons that I deliver. But don't come here because I may be a charismatic or entertaining person. You come here because you hear the unadulterated word of God. That's what this is about. And so every single effort of your life needs to recognize the holiness of God and about what God expects from you in that holiness. Now, God revealed his holiness through his prophets as Israel generally went away from God's word and was involved in idolatry. And so what happens? The idolatrous people were violating God's holiness. God will not settle for a divided loyalty. Let me make that clear to you. God will not settle for a divided loyalty. He is in a holy category by himself. Now, you might say right now, well, John, I'm, I, I worship God. I believe in God. But I would say to you, but do you have a lot of little gods in your life? Do you have a lot of little gods? Some of those little gods are your family. Some of those little gods are your money or your possessions or your recreation. Do you find that at times these little gods take greater precedence over the God Almighty, the I am that I am? Do you find that? 
And I would say that we all at sometimes find, find guilt in that. Well, I would say God is calling us today, calling you and warning you, don't do this. He is a holy category all by himself. And it's clear in the past that he will deal with us if in fact we fall into this situation. Look, God can deliver his wrath and his judgment just as he delivers his love. The effects of that can be sudden and devastating. Uh, and so there's another powerful example of this found in the book of Joshua. And here God gave clear directions to the people of Israel that when they came across the Jordan River and when they went and had the success that they did in Jericho, the next battle that they would face uh, with another one of the Canaanites, God told them that they were to destroy every single thing. All the possessions that came out of Jericho were to be destroyed. They weren't to take any possession. Yet one of the men, Achan, decided he would steal. And he wouldn't obey that. And he would keep the gold and silver and jewelry and bury it in his campsite. He blatantly defied the word of God. Well, what happens when you blatantly defy the holiness of God? What happens is that the nation then suffers defeat. You don't just carry yourself down because the next battle that the Israelites fought, they lost. A battle that they should have won easily. But they lost because there was sin in their camp. You understand? That's the holiness of God not being received. And so Achan is destroyed. And his family is destroyed. And all his possessions and livestock are destroyed because God will not tolerate disobedience and sin. This is a situation that calls us up to be serious. You also see this same pattern in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Because there, as you know, the apostles call the people to give of their possessions come and present it and people were selling their property and bringing all of that everything they had sold to the apostles so that it could advance the kingdom of God well Ananias and Sapphira saw this and they wanted to be blessed and they wanted to be lifted up and they wanted to be bragged about so they go and sell their land but they decide you know we don't have to bring it all in why don't we keep some for ourselves after all, who is going to know? So we'll keep some for ourselves, and we'll give the rest. And Peter then says them and looks at them. And the Holy Spirit spoke directly to Peter, and he said to them, Did you go and sell your land? Yes. And did you go and give it all to God? Yes. Who caused you to sin and lie to God himself? You see the holiness of God? Even at that point, as they were dealing with the man of God, the servant of God, the lies to the servant of God were effectively lies to the Holy Spirit and defying the holiness of God. And so what happens? Both Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead and carried out of that synagogue. I mean, as God says, be holy, for I am holy. God cannot be mocked. And so God loves you so much that when we choose to step outside of his boundaries, uh, his holiness constrains us. 
He surrounds you with his holiness. And he brings a vice like a judgment to bring you back in step. That's how much he loves you. He often will use your finances or your circumstances or your relationship in such a way so that he will bring you back to accountability. Be holy. Be holy. For I am holy. Look, the world knows us. The world knows who we are. The world knows that we are Christians and followers of Christ. That is a big responsibility. And it is a serious business to God. You think God is, is willing to take at risk you walking out into the world and living a, a, a slipshod life knowing that the world knows you are Christian? I think back to my father's brothers. No, he will not. He will not abide that kind of life. And so God's holiness causes us to respect him and to love him. God's true character will be revealed to us one way or another. And the greatest way we see the holiness of God revealed to us is through the life of Jesus Christ. God himself, that God would bankrupt heaven, bankrupt heaven to send his son to the earth to die on the cross because his holiness demanded that our sinful lives could never come into communion with him. It is only through that sacrifice, once and for all, on a cross, that God would allow you to come into the presence of God. That when you accepted him and you said you need a savior, God suddenly would pour his holiness into your life, pour his spirit into your life, and you would be saved forever because he loves you and because he is holy. Look, Jesus led a sinless life ultimately holy in every way except at that cross, at that point, he became the sin carrier for all time as all the sin of humanity before and after would be dumped on him as the very sacrifice to God. And it was at that point that God could not abide looking at his own son. And so at that point, the communion between Jesus Christ and God himself was cut off at that moment because he was a repository of sin. This is how holy our God is. This is the gift that he's given us so that we can be with him, that we can trust him and love him. This is an important message today to understand the nature of holiness, what it means, the awe and respect that you need to have when you come into the church, when you sit, and you continue in worship. When you sing the songs, you bow in worship because you're worshiping him. You recognize this is his presence. This is not an entertainment experience. This is a worship experience. And as we bow before him, as we see his throne, we understand what he did for us. And so he wants you to grow with him. He wants you to leave here and go out into the world and be the representative of him. He wants you to come into contact with people who see you and see a reflection of the God of glory, see the holiness in your life. Are you holy? No. But through the lens of Jesus Christ, God sees you as holy. And that's what we want to be. We want to be the messengers of God. Send me, God. Send me. That should be our message today. Right, church?
Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for this message. Lord, we are truly struck by your holiness in every way. When we consider who you are, Lord, forgive us if in the past we have not properly considered your holiness. Lord, I ask you today to touch the hearts of every one of us, to realize the holiness of you, Father, what you expect from us, how you draw us to us, and our responsibility to go out to a lost world and carry and show this holiness to those who need to see it. Be with our people. Bless them. Protect them in every way. And continue to bring them back next week to worship you. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.